Amen. You may be seated. Turning your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke, we continue to work our way through the Gospel that Luke has recorded for us. We come now this evening to verse 14, be reading down through verse 18. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Luke 16, beginning in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Even when that word is pointed and pierces our hearts, we ask our God that you would use your word tonight to open our eyes and enable us to see the state of our souls, the state of what we believe in. And Lord, we pray that you would make those things that we hear and those things that we read effectual in building us up and strengthening us and enabling us to serve you and love you with all our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would expect that quite a number of you here this evening can remember what it was like to spend a number of years getting an education. And if you were like me, you probably did not find in those course of years that exam day was one of your favorite days in school. Especially if you spent half the night or maybe the whole night, like some of my children did, stressing out and studying all night long to prepare for that exam. But there was usually one bright spot in those exams. And that was the true-false section. These were the easy questions. You either knew the answer or you didn't. So it wasn't that hard. It didn't demand a lot of thought. It didn't demand a whole lot of study to come to that conclusion. So if you got the question, the earth is flat, true or false, you know the answer. If you got the question or the statement, Pennsylvania is the Bible belt of the United States of America. True or false? 
I think you would know the answer to that question. However, when it comes to matters of religion, when it comes to what a person believes in about God, then things are not so easy to determine. When you start thinking about man's heart, my friends, we can't see men's hearts, can we? And so if a man says that he loves God, if he says that he believes in God or will follow the word of God, That is something that is very difficult for us to know. Are they speaking truth or are they speaking that which is false? Jesus is facing that exact very situation as he's dealing with these Pharisees who profess to know God to follow God's word. But God knows their hearts. And our Savior gives us here a couple of ways to rightly discern the reality of someone's professed faith. It gives us a way to discern the right and truthful way of our own profession of faith and what it means to believe and follow the God of the Bible. How can you tell? What can you do to, to know whether this, is, this religion is true or false? And Jesus gives us two defining considerations. Number one, is your religion a religion of the heart? That is, does it have an impact not just on your words and your deeds, but on your heart, on your inner man? Does it have an impact upon your affections? And secondly... Is your religion a religion of the Bible? Is it based upon the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God? These are the two things that I think our Savior highlights for us here. So let's look first of all. Is your religion a religion of the heart? Now, particularly if you've been here in recent weeks, you know how Luke has been describing the situation going all the way back to chapter 15 and verse 1. Jesus is now surrounded by tax collectors and sinners and his disciples, and he's been teaching them. He's been giving them parables to instruct them and help them understand how to serve God with their worldly possessions, how to use them faithfully for God's glory and not just our own enjoyment. 
But in this next section, in chapter 16, Luke tells us that there were also some Pharisees there listening to what Jesus had to say. But their reaction was anything but positive. New King James says they derided him. The ESV says they ridiculed him. Literally, the word means to turn out the nose. What it's describing is a visible show of absolute contempt for what they were hearing. The flaring of the nostrils is what we're talking about. Here were these people, and they were listening. They were listening to this parable of the unfaithful steward. They were listening to the parables of of the lost coin and of the, the lost sheep and the lost son. And they derided him. It's almost as if you could see someone lifting their head up and gritting their teeth, pursing their lips and flaring their nostrils in anger because they despised what they were hearing. Now, the question we might ask is, well, why? I mean, this sounds a rather, rather uh, dramatic response to the teaching of Jesus. But they were angry. And why did they respond in this way? Well, think about that parable that they had just heard about the unfaithful steward, a crooked, dishonest servant of his master. They had just heard what Jesus said was that which was least in thinking about physical possessions. But my friends, these Pharisees regarded what Jesus said was the least important, they regarded as the most important. Which is why Luke tells us that these Pharisees loved money. They loved their possessions. And so for Jesus to tell them, this is not the most important thing for you to think about or to devote your energy to. As a matter of fact, it's the least important thing. And they say, no, this is the most important thing for us. They had heard Jesus say that it could not be done to serve God and mammon or money. And they were saying, not at all. We can have both. We can serve God and we can love our money. Now Luke's assessment of these Pharisees in verse 14 is bad enough. But our Lord's response is even more pointed and more exposing of the emptiness of their religious profession. Look at verse 15. When Jesus tells them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God 
knows your heart. The Pharisees, in other words, talked a lot about God. They attended all the services in the synagogue. They could quote lots of scripture verses. They were doing all kinds of things to make it appear in the sight of men that they were very good, very holy, very religious individuals. In another place, in Matthew chapter 6, and again in Matthew 23, with the rebuke of the Pharisees, our Savior talks about they make long prayers, especially on the street corner. They sound the trumpet. They make a public display every time they give their money or their tithes. They even wear special clothes, enlarging the the phylacteries, the borders of their garments, saying, we are different. We are holy. We are very, very religious people. But it was all for show. It was all to be seen and to be heard. It was all so that they would have the praise of men and not for the glory of God. So that no matter how they looked and how they sounded, Jesus said, but God knows your hearts. In essence, He is indicating that their profession of religion, of loving God, of believing in God, of following God's word, all of that was false. It was fake. It was a facade. Because it was all for the praise of men. Now, brothers and sisters, we live in a very different time and a different place. There are probably not very many people in this room who've gone out on the street corner and started praying. We don't sound trumpets when we take up an offering. Look at me, see how much I'm giving. We don't do that. But the same issue being addressed by Jesus in this passage remains today. And it demands that we ask that searching question. Is our profession, is our religion true or is it false? Most of us probably can feel the the weight of these words. But just in case the seriousness of this has not fully registered, look at Jesus' final statement here to them. When he says in verse 15, For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. My friends, that's pretty strong language. And the main thing is, do you see the connection? You understand the the point that Jesus is making here. 
This, there is a real danger that our own hearts can be deceived to the point that we can live very impressively religious lives and convince everyone around us that we're true. And yet our own heart is deceiving us. It's possible, my friends, at the very same moment to live religious lives before men and they say, oh, wow, that guy, that woman is an astounding Christian. And yet God knows our hearts. And it's possible that while we give that religious impression in the sight of men, we can be an abomination to God. The point is <coughs> that it's very difficult sometimes to know what's true, what's false. How different the scriptures describe the psalmist. You remember what David says in Psalm 40 and verse 8. In fact, these very words are picked up by the writer of the book of Hebrews in, in chapter 10 and verse 7 and applied to Christ. When he says, I delight to do your will. Why? Because your law is within my heart. So for the psalmist, he delighted to do the will of God because the law of God was in his heart. David's religious life, indeed Christ's religious life, was lively. It was joyful. It was pleasing to God because his actions flowed out of his heart. This wasn't a show. This was rising up out of his own heart before God. And so, while on the one hand, it's possible to be very religious in the sight of man and very displeasing to God, it's also possible to be very religious before men and be pleasing to God when that religion is a religion of the heart. And God has never required anything less. You go all the way back to Moses and to the people coming out, being redeemed out of their, their bondage in Egypt and brought out and God protected them and he blessed them and he provided everything that they needed. And then he brings them to the mountain where he meets with them. And Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is what God has always desired of his people. And Jesus, of course, responds to the lawyer when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? 
above all the commandments God has given us in the word. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives them this. Love God with all your heart. Now, my friends, do these words describe your heart? Do you love God? Do you delight to do his will? Is his word within your heart? Is that the reason, the motivation for the way you live? Now, maybe you... You're sitting there like I was as I was working on this sermon. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I'm doing so good here. I'm falling so miserably short of loving God with all my heart. My friend, do not despair. Because the same God that says, love me with all your heart is the God who knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your dust. He knows you're frail and fickle. And he's promised to change you. When we come to him, when we call upon him, he is the one who says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you To walk in my ways. And so with the psalmist. In Psalm 119 and verse 36. We can cry. We can pray. We can pray right now. Tonight where we are. Lord. Incline my heart. To your testimonies. To your statutes. To your judgments. God has promised to change us. God has promised to change our hearts and to put his spirit within us. It's like the hymn, Mr. Robinson's hymn that we sang this morning, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. You feel it? You know what that's like? How prone we are to wander. But what does he say? Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Take it. Seal it. For your courts above. My friends, if you want true religion, give your heart to Jesus. Call upon him to take full possession of it and seal it by his spirit. For his courts above. Well, let's look secondly at another area. Is your religion a religion of the Bible? Now, we know that without the heart, any religious activity or experience is going to be utterly void of spiritual and saving power. But we also need to recognize that even the heart, be it ever so sincere and devoted, can be sincerely wrong. Unless the heart is instructed and guided 
and ruled by the revealed will of God in Holy Scripture, that heart will almost invariably go astray. And so in verse 16, Jesus introduces the importance of the revealed will of God as given in the law of God. Now note the contrast between what the Pharisees highly regarded and what God highly regards. The Pharisees loved their money and they regarded their honor and their houses and their recognition as being the most important. God highly esteems his word. This phrase, the law and the prophets, is a common expression to describe the Old Testament, especially given the fact that in Jesus' day, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament scriptures. And so when Jesus speaks of the law and the prophets, he is speaking of the written word of God that they had at the time. And he says, for a long time, the law and the prophets is all the people of God had. But he says, since that time, the kingdom of God is now being preached. It's not that the kingdom of God is in contrast or in opposition to the law and the prophets. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. What he's saying is that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, was full of shadows and types and figures. Now, under the gospel, now under the new covenant, the gospel is being preached. Now Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, now Christ, who is and in physical form, was the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. And now that Christ is being freely offered to all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. Now the gospel is being preached in a fuller, greater clarity and more glorious way under the gospel. And so we have Paul and Silas in prison And the Philippian jailer comes and falls down before them and says, Brethren, what must I do? And what do they say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that God's Son, Jesus Christ, is Lord of all. And entrust yourself to him and you will be saved. That's the glory of this new preaching of the gospel. But my friends, true saving faith is not just words. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. The law and prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone, everyone who's entering that kingdom now is pressing into it, or as the ESV puts it even more strikingly, is forcing their way into it. 
does that mean? I don't know about you, but the language seems wrong. How do we force our way? Why would we have to force our way into this kingdom of the gospel? Why are we pressing into it? Well, if you want a full treatment of this, you will find it in Thomas Watson's book, Heaven Taken by Storm, Taken by Violence. And he describes it well. But for now, I would simply say this. To press into the kingdom, to forcibly enter the kingdom, means that you are going to have a lot of opposition. My friend, Satan does not want you in the kingdom of God. And he's going to bring a lot of opposition against you to keep you out. And you're not going to be able to do it lightheartedly. Everyone who is entering into this kingdom now is doing it by force with zeal, with all your heart, as he has just described, in a way that the scriptures teaches us to seek God with everything we have. And so that is the picture here, that those who are entering into the kingdom are those who are seeking God with passion, my friends, we as Reformed Presbyterians and some Baptists here, we need not be afraid of showing a little passion for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. Seek it. Strive for, and labor for the meat which does not perish. That's what Jesus is describing here. It should remind you perhaps of those, those wonderful words in Jeremiah 29. When the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts for good and not for evil. You will pray. You will go. You will seek me. And you will find me. When what happens? When you seek me. With your whole heart. When you press into the kingdom. You know, sometimes people in a discussion and someone else expresses a really, really strong opinion about how they feel on a particular issue. Not uncommon for someone to say, why don't you tell us how you really feel? <laughs> well, if there's any doubt in your minds about how highly Jesus regards the word, the law, and the prophets, he tells you in verse 17 how he really feels. And notice what he says. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one jot or dot or tittle of the law to fail. 
This jot, this dot is literally a, a, a mark. It's the smallest mark in the Hebrew text. It, it approximates our apostrophe. It's just a hook. It's just a tiny little mark of the pen. And Jesus says before even the punctuation marks fail, heaven and earth will pass away. My friends, our Savior is giving us one of the most exalted descriptions of the law of God here. And look at what he says. As he says, heaven and earth will pass away before this smallest mark will fail. Here, brothers and sisters, young people, listen. This is how you tell the difference between true religion and false religion. Does what you say and think. Does what anyone says or thinks about religion line up with the word of God? Does it line up with what the scripture says? Science may tell you that this very complex, beautiful world in which we live just evolved out of some big pit of slime. I don't know how many of you saw it. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that they had just discovered the largest galaxy ever. Well, they just discovered another one. And this one's 13.5 billion light years from our galaxy. And you know what they said? This galaxy was created 330 million years ago when the Big Bang happened. I love the way one preacher described it, the idea of the Big Bang creating such complex worlds as we live in. is like saying there was an explosion at Radio Shack and out came the space shuttle. It's not going to happen, but science may tell you this is how it happened. Your coworker, your next door neighbor may say, Well, I think this about God. I think God is going to let everybody into heaven at the end. It may be that our Supreme Court will come down and say, You have the right to murder that life within you. That's your right as a human being. My friends, it doesn't matter who says it. The question is, does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with the Bible? Jesus said the heavens are going to dissolve. The earth is going to melt with fervent heat before one tiny little punctuation mark fails of the word of God. This is how you can tell if someone's profession of religion is true or false. We need 
to respond like Isaiah writes in chapter 8 and verse 20 to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because the truth is not in them. Well, one more verse, and that's verse 18. We could spend a lot of time on this verse. We're not here to go into all the details of what Scripture allows and what it does not allow in the subject of divorce. That is not our purpose. Our purpose is to stop and ask, why does Jesus bring it up in this passage? Do you see? Do you know? It is closely connected to the law and the prophets. It is closely connected to true and false religion. And here's just a summary of it. The Pharisees talked a lot about the law of God, but they did not do what it said. They did not keep that law. And divorce was a prime example. There were two leading rabbis. One, Rabbi Hillel. And he said a man could divorce his wife if she burned the meal. And that was displeasing to him. Rabbi Akiva said that a man could divorce his wife if he found someone prettier. Do you see? The Pharisees talked about the law and the prophets. They quoted scripture. They followed the minutia. But the very thing that God says, I hate divorce. And they say, no problem. You find somebody better looking? Cooks better? Divorce her. And marry someone else. Jesus takes the very thing, practical way, that they did not heed the law and the prophets. They did not do what God commanded. And he says, here's an example of your disdain for the scripture, for the revealed will of God. Well, my friends, I trust that we can look into our own hearts tonight and where we find them lacking, that we look to Christ. We confess our sins and we will be forgiven of those sins. And we call upon him for the grace and work of his spirit to incline our hearts to keep his testimonies. We love pleasing God because his law is in our hearts. May God grant it for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these very sobering words. We thank you for your promises of grace and mercy 
that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank you that we, by the power of your spirit, can do that which is pleasing in your sight, just as our Savior and Lord did when he walked upon this earth. Bless us, grant us your grace this night to look to you and lean upon those everlasting arms and bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a few moments, pray that God will use his word in our lives.